Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 1234 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer and Brendan S. Scott with you. Roos Chris Steakhouse, greatest steak you've ever had. Edmonton owned and operated. Open Wednesday through Sunday from 5 p.m. until close. Head down to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Brendan, Maggie, Taylor, and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers now sent you. All right, just before we uh, get into our conversation with Hart Levine from Puckpedia, this guy understands the uh, salary cap and the CBA as well as anybody out there right now. So that's a, that's a neutral guy that does not work for any NHL organization. I just want to bang off. I'm asking you for your favorite 80s movies. Uh, here we go. Uh, the Chisler says definitely Top Gun, not even close. And, Bob, is it true that you were once a Tom Cruise lookalike? I can neither confirm nor deny that was the case, Chisler. Though you might have an idea, circa 1987. Rick has texted us to say, Bob, fast times at Ridgemount High. Gotta be it. Uh, two quick ones from, who's this one from? This one is from, uh, Jack says, Bob, big time Blues Brothers, uh, movie fan as well as Alien. And Lyle, serving up the absolute curveball for us. I think Quigley Down Unger was, uh, Quigley Down Under <laughs> was made in 1980s. Uh, you got to love a guy that can shoot a three-inch group at over half a mile. Only in my dreams from Lyle. Oh, man, I could tie this back into so many things. Every time I have a conversation on conspiracy theorists and being in a sixth-floor uh, Texas school book depository, and <laughs> there's no way he banged off three shots in eight, you know, eight seconds. <laughs> You gonna, the listeners know that story that CBS went and commissioned the top eight sh- uh, sharpshooters in the United States uh, to to get the three shots off in a span of eight seconds. They gave everybody three opportunities to do it, and one guy uh, with the type of weapon that was deployed by Lee Harvey Oswald, and one guy did it once. So uh, one out of twenty-four, because each guy went three times, one out of twenty-four was able to successfully pull it off. The term conspiracy th- uh, theory evolves from what happened with the Kennedy assassination, 1963. There you go. All right. Anyhow, let's, let's get back on the rails here. We got some serious hockey stuff to talk about right now. We could have a potential return to play. But before we do, as we bring aboard Hart Levine, joining us out of parts unknown, but somewhere down where it's probably a little bit warmer right now than Edmonton, uh, Hart is with Puckpedia. Hello, Hart. It's Bob Stoffer. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Hey, just before we get to the serious stuff, do you have a 1980s movie that's one of your favorites? Hmm. Uh, I'll go Ferris Bueller's. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, you know what? My son loved that one. When we, uh, <laughs> we've done a lot of movie nights here over the last 10 months, if you know what I'm saying, or last eight or nine months. So there's already a few votes in for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So that one definitely works with Matthew Broderick. Hart, uh, yesterday, the Larry Brooks reported that the NHL and the EPA have sort of gone circled back to a conversation around another uh, deferral 
of, say, 13%. So right now what we know is the players in the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding, basically the NHLPA agreed to a 20% escrow for the 2021 season and then a 10% deferral. And now we're hearing that there's going to be an additional 13% deferral proposed. So perhaps explain the escrow and the deferral process and what that would mean ultimately for players' contracts. Sure. So I think uh, everyone knows that basically the players and the owners share in the revenue 50-50. So, and that's not changing. So it's always 50-50 sharing the revenue. And all these different things is basically just how to um, sort of hold the money for a while until that 50-50 can be worked out. So the escrow, the money goes aside. And um, when we finally find out what the actual revenues were and what the actual players' salaries were, um, that escrow can sometimes some of it be returned to the players um, and sometimes not. It seems quite unlikely in this year that any of that escrow is going to be returned because um, I think the revenues are going to be well below obviously what they're expecting and with the salary cap higher, kind of artificially higher, um, I think that 20% is basically gone this year for the players. The deferral kind of accomplishes the same thing except that the players are taking part of their salary um, and they're not giving it up, but they're going to get it paid starting in three years um, over three years. So, you know, I think though, compared to the other alternative, which would be we're going to, if we have a shortened season prorating their salaries, I think a deferral is pretty good. I mean, I think a lot of the listeners out there, if they've had rollbacks or, or wage rollbacks at their work uh, this year, they would sure love to kind of get that money paid back to them in the future as opposed to being gone forever. So the deferral is definitely better for the players um, than prorating, meaning they would lose it forever. The interesting part, though, about a deferral is that when it gets paid out um, down the road, it's going to count towards the player's share. So really, it's, you know, again, it's the, it's always going to be, the players are always going to get 50-50. It's just about kind of loaning some money to the owners for a bit, and over time, it, now it's going to take even longer for it to eventually work out to 50-50. But we're going to see um, the salary cap basically stuck now at 81.5 or barely moving, I, I think, for many, many years. All right, so let's, let's use a player as an example. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is in the last of a seven-year deal at $6 million. So players get paid during the regular season. So on that salary, he gets 20 for the duration of the year. He would get 20% of the $6 million uh, held back in escrow. So that would be $1.2 million right off the top. Then we, then we have another 23%. So again, another you know, over 1.2 million held back for deferral that would be paid out over the next three years. So now he's down to theoretically uh, 3.6 million, of uh, which would get spread out over the the weeks that they play in the regular season. Because again, players get paid in the regular season, and, and so then he gets t- so that leaves about 3.6 million that he would actually be playing for. You know, if we just round off to 20 percent overall on the deferral, is is that is that the easiest way to kind of explain it? Do you think? Art? Yeah, it's going to work out to six, if it's a 23% deferral, it's going to work out to 61.6% of their salary that they're going to get this year. But okay. again, some of that is gone forever. The 20% is gone probably forever, but the 23% deferral, they'll get 
um, the original schedule was in three years they'd start to get um, it paid over the fall, like over three years. So they'd get it down the road, but with no interest. So it's not like it's a, you know, it's not like a, they'd be better off having the money now. But ultimately, it looks like the players are going to end up with just under 62% of their pay this year. Um, but again, they'll get some of it in the future. The interesting thing um, that I tweeted about yesterday, though, is so some players obviously had signing bonuses, which have already been paid. Um, and so players like Connor McDavid, they have really low base salaries and high salary uh, signing bonus. Even if Connor McDavid um, didn't get paid any of his base salary this year, there's no way he would get to the 23% deferral unless he wrote a check back to the Oilers. Um, and I actually was chatting with our friend Elliot Freeman. He's uh, found out that for players like that, which will sort of not be able to defer enough this year, the plan would be for them to make it up next year on, on a signing bonus or salary in the next year. So even with that 23% deferral, it, it won't actually work out to the full 23% because some of these guys, um, I think I had about 17 guys, um, they've already been paid too much in signing bonus that they won't even be able to defer enough this year. Yeah, so just for the listeners that are aware, uh, Connor McDavid in July received a signing bonus of $13 million. His actual base salary this year, even though he's a $12.5 million cap hit, his base salary this season, if we were to play the full year, was going to be $1 million. And uh, so, he, you know, he's gotten his $13 million, and the Maple Leafs have got a couple players like that, don't they, with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner? They have three, yeah. Matthews, Marner, and actually Jake Muzzin, too. Uh, yeah, because they have low, really low uh, base salary but high signing bonus, they'll, they're, they're not going to get a paycheck throughout the season, um, and that still won't be enough to get to the 23% deferral. So, yeah, again, they'll have to make it up next year. But when you add all that up, that's about uh, there's about $26 million that should be deferred um, this year if it's a 23% uh, deferral. That won't be able to because of the large signing bonuses related or as in comparison to the base salary. So, so like people would look at this and they go, okay, well, 20% ESCO and 23% deferral, is that not 43% of the salary? Explain why it's not. Well, the ESCO comes off the top first, so you're left with 80%, and then you're taking, uh, you're taking like the 23% off the remaining 80%. There we go. So that it's, so you're not taking the 23% off the 100%. Uh, you so. You explain, and you're, and for everybody, I don't want to re- release too much about about your heart, but let's just say you work in numbers and money every day. Is that a fair assessment? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So uh, here we go. Take me through, from your perspective, what uh, the hit on and the strategies and the potential implications could be. If we end up having a taxi squad of extra guys and how a shorter season could change some of the salary cap strategy carrying forward. Yeah, so this is interesting. So as we saw in the past, like there's teams that often would send players down on off days um, because you can save salary cap space. And um, every every day you have uh, with less players on the roster, that's more salary cap space uh, you can use later. So we saw like Vegas, for example, they were constantly sending guys up and down. 
so I think ideally teams might go as low as 20 guys on the roster, but practically speaking, it's hard because you need to have players available. So this year, though, if they're going to allow players to be with the team but um, not officially be on the active roster that counts towards the salary cap, that, that could really change things and allow them to carry less players on that active roster. So they could maybe have, let's say it's a three-man taxi squad. I don't think teams are necessarily going to have like 23 on the roster counting against the salary cap plus another three on the taxi squad to make 26. I think they're more likely to go with like 20 or 21 on the active roster to count against the salary cap and then add the three taxi squad guys. So, you know, they have like, let's say 24 around um, in case of injury or positive COVID tests or anything. So I think that'll be really interesting. It'll actually allow teams to sort of function with less salary cap by not, they really, they they really won't need to carry guys um, that, towards a salary cap that aren't playing um, except if they're worried about waivers. So there really would be no – if it's, if you have a guy that doesn't require waivers, um, there's no reason why you would need to have him on your NHL roster and count him against the salary cap if you could have him on your taxi squad and kind of keep him around uh, for free. The, the, the challenge would be with guys that might need waivers, like that would be the risk. You could put him on – if you want to take him off the active roster and move him onto your taxi squad so he doesn't count, he's going to have to declare waivers. But I think with so many guys kind of in that situation, I think we'll see so many um, sort of decent NHL players or kind of end-of-roster NHL players on waivers that I, I don't think they're there'd be too many guys getting claimed. So for a team like the Oilers that look like they might be pretty tight, you know, if they're willing to expose a, a couple of those end-of-roster guys to waivers, again, like they, they could be at 20, 21 guys on the roster, which sort of changes the math on how they're looking for um, towards the salary cap. And then in terms of like a shorter season, we've talked about this before, but the way that the salary cap calculations work is there's typically like about 186 days in the season. So every day that a player's on the roster, or he counts one out of 186. If we have a shorter season, let's say it's like 100 or let's say it's like 120 days, every day of the of the season will be worth more, right? It's a higher percentage of the overall cap. So that means that doing those maneuvers, like uh, carrying less guys on the roster on an off day, will actually help a team even more. Um, or a team that maybe they want to load up for the trade deadline, um, they could they could save a whole bunch of space during the year, and then it'll actually kind of save up more than a typical year because each day of the season will be worth a lot more. So I think it would it really will reward teams that are actually under the cap as opposed to teams that would be using LTIR and over the cap. When you're in LTIR, you don't accrue space. So being so it really benefits teams that are actually under the cap, accruing space each day, where each day of space is kind of more valuable than in a normal year. Hart, I got a, something I got to ask you here. We have four Canadian teams. Like, we're looking at an all-Canadian division. That's pretty inevitable. That's what's going to happen here. I mean, just, again, I believe just today the Canadian government announced another extension of the border closures between Canada and the United States. And given the current state of COVID right now and the pandemic, it's completely understandable. But we have four Canadian teams with their American Hockey League affiliates in Canada. And then Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver have theirs in the U.S., Do they need to increase the size, potentially, of a taxi squad and allow organizations like Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver, if they don't indeed find a placeholder city for this upcoming year for their – because I guess you could still do that. Like maybe you could have, you know, three communities in Ontario taking on Bakersfield, 
Stockton and Utica for a year. And I don't think the AHL wants to ultimately see that happen. So I guess they could go that route. But conversely, could they also go the route of expanding the size of the uh, taxi squad because of the uniqueness of the situation with the pandemic, because at any time you could have, you know, uh, it, it, we've talked about this a bit with college football. I mean, college football has 75 to 125 players on, on rosters. And so we shouldn't be surprised when certain programs have a run where three or four guys end up getting COVID. Uh, so do, could you foresee that being a scenario? And how in the heck would they potentially financially uh, figure that out? I, I think they would definitely need to do that. It's, it, like you mentioned, the border for sure. Um, you see in football, like in in college and the NFL, there's a bunch of players not only that have tested positive, but they're they're shutting guys down for a couple of days when they've been in contact with someone that's positive. Um, and yeah, there's more players on a football team, but they're also uh, I think a little more spread out. Like they're not cramped together on a bench and stuff. So I think any positive tests on a NHL team, they're going to have a whole bunch of other guys that are going to be shut down for a couple of days um, while we wait for more test results from them. So I think, yeah, they're going to have to have a large taxi squad. And and like I mentioned, I think, though, the key with the taxi squad is, like, if they're treated as in the AHL, they just get to be with the NHL team. Like, for the players, they're, they're, they're only going to get paid their AHL wage, I would think, when they're on their taxi squad or maybe with more per diem or, or some benefits. So financially, I don't think it really um, – impacts the NHL team because you would expect that they'd be getting, uh, they'd still be playing those players to not be on the NHL active roster. Um, So I think it's really a win-win. I mean, especially if those AHL teams aren't really playing um, or not playing till February or March or something, I think those players, it's better for them to be with the NHL team practicing um, and being ready and and getting treated to kind of NHL accommodations. Um, I think it's sort of a a win-win. I really don't see any reason why they wouldn't have an expanded uh, taxi squad or roster. I, again, as long as there's a difference between who's on the active NHL roster and counts against the salary cap and towards this whole player share versus who is just physically with the team but still getting paid AHL money. Yeah, I, I could see going to 30 players. Seriously, I could see you have a 23-man active roster, then a seven-man ta- taxi roster, and then that'll that'll take care of having enough guys in case you do get shut down unless you have, obviously, massive exposure. And then you're talking a completely different scenario we're joined by Hart Levine again his website is uh, Puckpedia uh, so the players uh, yesterday Larry Brooks reporting 13% additional deferral request which I guess if we're reading between the lines here the reality of the situation is if we are only playing 48 games you can totally understand the owners not wanting to pay a full 82 games for a 48 game schedule You've come up with the numbers at about 61%, which kind of works out to being paid full for about 48 games. There, There is some logistics to it. Do you think the players accept? i per, I got to tell you, Hart, I think the players have no choice but to accept this because the other option might be not playing at all. What about you? I think it's a good deal for the players because, again, it, they're not just going to get paid 61%. They're going to get paid... Uh, like 80 percent it's just that you know that 17 or 18 percent is going to come in in three four five years down the road but they're still going to get it so i i would think you know if they hadn't just agreed to an mou where they um kind of outlined some of the stuff that they were starting from scratch kind of like the nba i don't see why the owners would even offer this deferral i think they would demand proration for a partial season so i think for the players to yeah it's going to be painful for them to have uh you know receive 61 percent then less 
less agent fees, less taxes, all that stuff. But again, it, it, it's not gone forever. They're going to be getting some of this money down the road. And I think the real impact, if you look at like, um, if you look at like a guy that's got a high cap hit or salary now, that's towards the end of the career, like a, let's say a Ryan Getzlaff or, or people like that. Now they're going to be getting some of this money from that big contract three, four, five years from now. But that's going to count towards the player's share three, four, five years from now. So you think about a guy like Alexis Lafreniere. He's going to have a big contract in, in a few years. He's going to have a big amount of escrow uh, being withheld that he's going to lose off the face of his contract because it's going to go to pay a guy like Ryan Getzlaff who's, who could be out of the league by then. So in some sense, it's actually just transferring some money from um, future stars to the guys now um, a couple of years from now. Great job explaining this uh, for us, Hart. How do people follow you on Twitter? Follow on Twitter at Puckpedia, and uh, make sure you check out the website at puckpedia.com. And you have updates on which agents uh, have the biggest books and who's got the biggest, uh, you know, amount of players and client numbers and all that kind of stuff. It's terrific stuff. Thanks for your time, Hart. Thanks. Appreciate it. You bet. That is Hart Levine joining us uh, from Puckpedia. It is 12.54 in Edmonton. We're going to get an update from the farm when we come back on Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brennan Escott with you. It's 12.55 in Edmonton. Just before we get to... An update on some of the Oilers' prospects for James H. Brown injury lawyers. I know there's a report out of uh, British Columbia today that by tomorrow around 3 o'clock sounds like non-essential travel within the province of B.C. will be shut down. Brendan, that's your province that you're from. And non-essential travel within the province. Apparently, uh, they're going to start, wow. That's pretty interesting. All right, let's uh, let's get to it. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott, with you. The Oilers Now Prospect Report is brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Trent Brown, Jim Brown, the gang at James H. Brown want you to stay safe and stay positive. Here's Brendan Escott. Okay, uh, Anton Slepashev continues pacing all Oilers properties in point production this year. Up to nine goals, 11 assists across 22 games with Seska Moscow. Uh, Dmitry Samarukov now 24 games under his belt in the K. He's got three goals, eight points. Uh, Kirill Maximov started out in the K, has been playing in the VHL most recently. He's over a point per game there. Just had one assist in eight KHL contests. Last year's seventh round selection, uh, Maxime Dejenkin. Yeah, I said that. Dinejkin? Some, some, some Russian rendition of that. <laughs> Sounds okay to me. <laughs> Sounds good to me too. Has quietly enjoyed a productive season. He's got 11 points in 20 games across a couple different levels there. Diminutive centerman though does remain unsigned. All right. Uh, wow. Never a dull moment uh, with this ongoing fluid situation with the pandemic. It's 12.57 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer and Brendan Escott with you coming up at 105 today. Speaking of the pandemic, a man who covers it for Post Media and also has the cult of hockey, David Staples, coming up. Uh, we will also have Oilers Now trivia for Greta Global Street Food at uh, 125. So I'm going to uh, formulate a question for you during the commercial break. But off to a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.